Uh, welcome back, everybody. Welcome to uh, the third episode of Very Public Breakdown. This is week four of us being in this game, but we decided to take last week off uh, for the 4th of July because um, we wanted to spend time with our friends and family and figured you wouldn't be listening anyways. Um, so we're so glad to have you here and looking forward to this show. Today on Very Public Breakdown, we're going to cover some stories from the week, including Democratic infighting, U.S. women's soccer, the First Amendment in the Twitter sphere, and people making big moves. Stick with us and enjoy the show. I think there's been a lot that's been happening in the news cycle. Um, some of it relevant, some of it, you know, total bullshit. Uh, pre uh, pre election drama. Right. Um, but I think something that's interesting that we could talk about a little bit uh, that applies not so much directly to the campaign, but also, I think, generally to the Democratic Party and kind of where we are as Americans is uh, the story about Nancy Pelosi and kind of how she went after a few members of Congress um, regarding sort of criticizing Democrats publicly via Twitter. Sure. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know a ton about the story, but I, I can give some headlines and sort of just what I think. So, uh, and you actually said something that's really interesting that we shouldn't lose sight of. People forget that, you know, obviously there's the presidential election in 2020, but there's a lot else that's at stake, too. You know, 31, 32, 33 members of the Senate uh, of the Senate class are up for re-election. Um, we have an opportunity to, you know, win back a, a narrow opportunity to win back the Senate, which is wildly important. I mean, think of uh, if we were to win the presidency, think of the, uh, you know, approving of president's cabinet. Uh, finally. Uh, stopping this influx of wildly conservative, traditionalist, originalist uh, judges to the federal bench in the Supreme Court. Um, there's just a really impo- a lot of um, really important things that come with the Senate, and obviously uh, maintaining a majority in the House, which is really important yeah. too, uh, and won't be easy. Um, so all this to say, um, Leader Pelosi, uh, there was a 4.6, I think, billion dollar. Um, appropriation that the Senate, I think, had already proved that the House was approving um, to address and fund sort of issues uh, at the border with the migrant crisis that is, I would say, generally been manufactured and created by, you know, rounding people up and detaining them across the country, as opposed to doing the sensible thing, which would be uh, admitting that people are here, whether we like it or not, uh, people are here and, you know, we should create a path for them to be uh, legal, tax-paying, law-abiding, um, productive uh, citizens in our society, uh, rather than you know um, sticking them at the border in uh, totally inhumane circumstances, which does nothing really good for anybody. Right? It doesn't. It doesn't perpetuate law and order. It doesn't. It doesn't make us safer. It doesn't make. It doesn't make anybody uh, living in the communities where these people, uh, the vast majority of whom. Uh, had never committed a crime in their lives, the vast majority of whom were raising families just like so many other people are. So uh, don't give me on that soapbox. But the there were four freshman members. Ayanna Presley, um, shit, I should have written these down. Ayanna Presley, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar, Omar, um, who voted against this measure uh, or against this appropriation uh, when it came to the floor, um, they were working to bring other people with them, but the rest of the Democratic caucus, uh, including other very, very liberal, um, very progressive members of the caucus, all voted yes um, to pass uh, this border funding measure. 
Then some of them took to Twitter. Uh, obviously, all of these have a really, you know, strong following on Twitter. They took to the internet, as is the case these days, um, to sort of protest and I think probably rightly state their opinion that they thought that this was wrong, that there were not additional um, sort of humanitarian protections included for the people at the border. Uh, there's certainly something to be said for that, and I'm glad that there are people advocating. Um, like, I, I know that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went to the border herself, um, was treated incredibly badly, and, you know, so so these are people who believe very passionately in this. My I guess my take on it is that I'm, I think, I'm glad that everybody was there. You know, I'm glad that we have these incredibly progressive members pushing the envelope. They're sort of the tip of the spear, right? Like they, without without people like them, you know, new ideas like whether you agree with them not or not, but the Green New Deal, optional Medicare for all, like these, these ideas wouldn't even be in the public dialogue. So it's good for them. That said, I also believe that, you know, when, when you come from a district like AOC, which is uh, Brooklyn, and maybe some of the Bronx, but definitely New York City. Um, Rashida Tlaib, Detroit. Ayanna Presley, the city of Boston. And uh, Ilhan Omar, all of Minneapolis. Um, it becomes, you know, they have safe seats. They are not, they are, the only concern that they have is in their primary election. And a lot of these people who helped us win the majority um, they do not come from safe seats. In Minnesota, we have two of those people right here. We have Angie Craig in the 2nd District and uh, Dean Phillips in the 3rd. Both of those people are going to have, they had competitive races in what was a really, really good year for Democrats 2018. And we don't know how 2020 is going to shape up, but these people um, are going to have really tough races. And so their political calculus, and not only the political calculus, but potentially what they believe. I think so often we allow ourselves to think that like, Every political decision is made by, driven by money or by just the desire to stay in office. And I think that's a really, really um, wrong, but also sort of a dangerous approach to take to it because it also, it just sort of, it, it makes it, it draws such a line in the sand between like what's right and what's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you are for something, you are right. If you're against it, you're wrong. And I don't think that's the case. I think like good people often fall on different sides of an issue. Yeah. Um, and, and that nuance is totally left out of the conversation. I think that's unfortunate. To get back to the original point, though, I think um, the real point that we have to realize is, like, first of all, I think Nancy Pelosi is a great speaker. Um, I don't know anyone else who could do as good a job as her, and I don't think anyone could do a better job as her. I, I just think that those people who are in really safe seats have to remember the people who are... In, in con say or in seats where they're going to have contested elections, I think we have to like remember that like some you know perhaps they just they're, they're, I didn't read the the language I don't know the details of it but like I just think that uh, you know it's okay to it's okay to disagree um, I think the Democratic Party is a big tent and you know we should have disagreements but I I think that um, when it comes to the point of uh, us versus them mentality that we've already lost because any us versus them is um, to me against the people who created the the migrant camps in the first place, right? Um, I, I just don't think in any case that the Democrats are the enemies here. Um, 
and I I find it hard to believe and and I actually don't love the moral superiority to, that comes along with um, some people thinking that like their way is the only way uh, because that's just not the case um, and you know we have to we have to have room for disagreement because we've got way bigger fish to fry than fighting with each other over um, really anything you yeah know? like remember do not turn your guns inward that's the point yeah I and think I, that good yeah I think you're completely right I think that like that only turns off the moderate voters like, yeah I, I don't, with, I, don't I, I, I disagree that it turns off uh, I, I disagree with the labeling of it turns off moderate voters oh um, <laughs> I think it I I disagree with the idea that it turns off moderate voters I think it turns off people who are just you know casual bystanders and and the the conversation is then that Democrats can't get it together they can't govern they're arguing over 4.6 billion dollars um, and and that's not the case Democrats have been governing they um, keep your eye on the prize yeah in my opinion yeah yeah interesting uh, I think another kind of fascinating news story that's happening right now is uh, some of the hot water that Trump's been getting into uh, regarding the First Amendment and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, I was just wondering if we could explore that a little bit, like in terms of their obligations to uh, the American people with new mediums like Twitter and kind of how that's being used, I feel like. Um, yeah. That's kind of interesting. It is interesting. Um, to give um, some context, I think a federal judge or I don't know if it was one judge or a an appeals court or something. Somebody is a lower ruled, court. Yep. Ruled that um, Donald Trump can't block people on Twitter. Twitter, um, and I don't know. I mean, here's to be truthful. I don't care. I just re-got Twitter, um, re-downloaded Twitter like ten days ago, and I already. The number of times I've like wrote, written my like farewell tweet to Twitter to just be like, this sucks. Twitter sucks. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't use it. Um, I, I think it's it's you just throwing ideas out into what feels like an echo chamber. Says the guy doing a <laughs> podcast right now, but um, that's different. Uh, Jesus, why is my phone beeping all the time? Yeah, I mean it is. Um, it, it is kind of a. a a toxic void like you say yeah. but also it's the president's main source of outreach like sure. that is definitely a new thing in 2019 yeah and well hopefully there's new ways in 20 later in 2019 are. but that's are. beside the point um i generally just don't care and i think that uh, i'm not a constitutional scholar um they ruled that it violated some First Amendment right or whatever. And to be clear, we always talk about First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, Nineteenth Amendment. Um, and I like to think of myself as a moderately smart person. And I figured it might be important to just read what the First Amendment actually says while having this conversation. And it is, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So, like, I would say, had Donald Trump started a, a like, presidential twi Twitter account, that, like, I would say that would probably, the First Amendment would, would apply to that. Like, 
people have the right to petition uh, him as a U.S. government official. Hmm. Um, being he did not, and, and then I would say maybe he would be able to keep his Donald J. Trump Twitter as like a personal Twitter and have uh, all, um, you know, he can correspond with whom he wants on that. The fact that he is, you know, using his role as president, and I think AOC is uh, using her role as a congresswoman um, and speaking in that role as, on Twitter, I generally think, like, uh, yeah, I don't know that I have a problem with this, uh, you know. Should they be able to block someone? I don't know. Probably not. Um, I think there's probably limits to that. Uh, say someone, um, you know, if, if it's, like, coming down to their safety yeah. um, or, uh, you know, if there are death threats against them or their family, that should never be tolerated against anyone. Um, but I think generally, yeah, I think if you're going to use, like, your personal Twitter as um as a mouthpiece for your official role, then yeah, you probably you probably got to take what comes at you. Yeah, I think like maybe the software, like the the platform itself, needs to become more sophisticated. Like the amount of bots and trolling that that's on. I mean, like oh, it's just unbelievable. It's ridiculous. So to say that like should they be able to to block a verified citizen of the United States that has a single account? Like that's right. one thing. Right. Um, should they be able to block Joe Schmo, who's got twelve accounts, you know, three of which he uses to spew Just, hate, yeah, and all that? Um, that's a dip. I mean, I don't know how you come around that. That's a really complicated problem. But like, right, I definitely see the need to build, to block. Yeah, I mean, it's not the same as standing in the city square and not having access to your candidates. Well, it's, isn't it though? Like, it, it is and it isn't. Like, it is like. People don't stand in the square anymore. That's not the world we live in, right? No. And, and so, I don't know. I mean, I just got to say that, you know what, there are some issues that, like, really make me, that I'm really passionate about, um, and this just isn't one of them. Um, and so, just, I, I don't know. I mean, even beyond is the I don't know. It's that like, do I care? And I probably should care. We probably should care. Mm-hmm. But I just haven't put enough thought into it. Um so it's a, it's a good question, but I'm, you know, I'm curious what all y'all think. Do you think that, do you think that um, public officials should be able to block people on their uh, Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram? Let us know what you think. Yeah. Um, I think it's obviously going to be something that's going to be drawn up for a while. I don't think it's going to be right. It'll probably be one of these issues that's just tied up in the courts, right, for however long until the American public kind of forgets about right. it. Right. Well, the Supreme Court, will, you know, <laughs> like. Um, the Supreme Court will probably have to real, uh, rule on it by next year, maybe. Um, so maybe we'll know maybe by we'll know. before the election, before their June term ends. Um, oh, here's a big thing. The women's soccer team. They won. Congratulations, Woo-hoo. ladies. Um, I have to say I'm not a soccer fan. I did not watch the games. Um, but I like to cheer for winners, um, to quote... Uh, to quote Donald Trump, I like the people that win. Is it um, fair to say that we're both bandwagon sports fans? Um, <laughs> no, it is not fair to say that. I am a rabid University of Virginia basketball fan, That's and so true. when I went to the game and they won, it was very special That's for true. me. Well, um, I, I'm a bandwagon fan. And I wear a Twins hat, a bunch of them, <laughs> because I like them. So, yeah, it's very I usually fair. don't get riled up until playoffs of any sports. Yeah, and, really, that just know, has... Finals of... That just has to do with, like, my attention span and not being able to focus. I mean, baseball plays, like, what, 
six hundred and too many games. Yeah. Too many. Who's paying attention? Um, I think they're at like halftime though now, right? Is that what it's called? Halftime? Of the season? Yeah. I don't know. Jesus. Bandwagon. Good God. <laughs> um, okay, so... Point but, is... No, no, no. Here's the, here's the point. Um, do you think that there's been this back and forth amongst people who I don't think have anything that they can do about the situation? Do you think that the women's soccer team should be paid more? Yes. Good answer. Yes. I don't think there's anything else to say about that. Some people say like... Oh, it should be the men that make $90,000 and the women that make five hundred. I'm like, you want to know what? I don't want to take money away from the men. I just want to give more money to the women. The women should be, you know, like, let the, let this, let the standard be that for loot, never winning a gold cup or what is it? A world cup. Jesus. <laughs> for never winning a world cup, you get $500,000. And then for winning four times, the women get more than that. Yeah. Doesn't that seem like a simple solution? There's enough money to go around. I'm confused a little bit about the whole conversation. Like, who is advocating that they shouldn't get paid? Uh, Are there groups? uh, (laughs) Like... Fuck them if there are. Like, but it, it seems as though there are, but I don't actually is, know who... Is it, is, it, is it that there are actually people advocating that they should be paid less, or is it just like that up until now, like no one's been like, yeah, pay them more. Like, no one's... I, I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, you know, the people advocating that they get paid less are probably the same people who, like, would like to speak to a manager <laughs> at Whole Foods about, like, that bad, like, apple they got. Yeah. So... Just like, there are, don't, never be the, you never want to be the person saying that this person should get less. I think it's always great to advocate for other people to get more, but never be the person, it just doesn't seem, um, and actually, actually, this is interesting, that like, when there's so much abundance, we don't need to take from anybody, you know, like, it, 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 we lose that argument immediately. You lose yeah. the argument immediately if you say, let's pay the men less so we can pay the women more it's just like well that that argument's not gonna win it may be right i don't know but it certainly isn't gonna like win in the court of public opinion or whomever you have to convince um i I just always think like more 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 is better yep i agree um speaking of that speaking of the success other success stories and uh excess can you fill me in a little bit about uh this um candidates amy mcgrath and kind of what she's done like this is just like stepping aside from the sports desk sure. a little bit here like this is something that like i feel from like the sports yeah, exactly. desk oh <laughs> we that's have, rich we have multiple desks here at very public breakdown um it's you know campaign finance is something that like the average voter can kind of tune out you can people drone on about it but i also think that like it's important to understand how that impacts an election and kind uh-huh. of some of the early stages of it. And I know like with your expertise in that, that'd be something that I feel like you could shed some light on kind of what does this mean for her right now? And um, what are the next steps? Sure. So I guess we've never really talked about this cause I don't like to, but um, so my expertise is in fundraising. Um, I've been national finance director for members of the house Senate Governors' campaigns and presidential campaigns, right? So all levels of um, national politics. So have a good sense, I guess, on like what's going on. Um, Amy McGrath is uh, declared on Monday that she is no Tuesday that she is going to challenge uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell for his Senate seat in Kentucky in 2020. Um, last time Mitch when when Mitch McConnell was up. 
uh, in 2014, he raised and spent like $30 million to win. He beat Allison Lundergan Grimes, the current Secretary of State of Kentucky, pretty handily. Though she raised a lot of money, um, it just, 2014 was like a terrible year to be a Democrat. And uh, Allison was reelected as Secretary of State narrowly in 2015. So um, in, in a state that has been pretty amenable to electing Democrats, not at the federal level, but certainly uh, up until... 2015, they had a Democratic governor, a Democratic attorney general, who is now running for governor, Democratic um, treasurer, like, you know, just statewide offices, they were willing to elect Democrats. Uh, Amy McGrath ran uh, for a House seat last cycle in 2018, lost, I don't know the margin off the top of my head, um, but she lost, but she's a uh, Air Force uh, veteran, um, combat pilot, um, just sort of groundbreaking in that there were few, if any, female combat pilots in the uh, Air Force, and she really broke the mold. So do I, know, do I think that she is certainly an underdog in this race? Yes. Um, but to say that there is uh, enthusiasm towards the idea of beating Mitch McConnell, um, who you'll remember is the person who uh, denied President Obama one um, seat on the Supreme Court with Merrick Garland uh, so that they could get Gorsuch, um, who then, uh, because he said at the time that a president in their final term should not be allowed to appoint a Supreme Court justice, that the people should decide. Um, and we all know that that was a total sham. Anyone paying attention at the time knew that that wasn't about the Constitution or the will of the people. That was about Mitch McConnell's singular goal to reshape the judiciary. And anyone who's not paying attention to that should pay attention to how many judges this Senate is approving. Um, with a Republican president. just And, oh, and they should also look at the fact that Mitch McConnell literally said uh, if Donald Trump were in the last year of his term uh, to to uh, have a vacancy on the Supreme Court, that he would absolutely yeah. fill that sucker. So, like, you know, none of this is about principle. It's all about politics. And in the game of politics, I think there are two people, maybe three, um, playing the game, the, the game of politics as well as Mitch McConnell. I think the only person so far who's able to play as well as Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell is Nancy Pelosi. Um, like her or not, she's the only person who's gotten some wins. All that to say, yesterday Amy McGrath raised $2.5 million, which is the record for uh, any candidate on their first day of a campaign, which is just absurd. I mean, if you think about it, some people running for president um, struggled to raise that in 90 days. Um, sure. You know, some of them who raised less than that were in the race not as long. But the point is, that's a huge sum of money. Um, just absolutely huge. Is that something that you see as like a sustainable trend? Um, I mean, like, is, is she going to raise two and a half million dollars every day? No. Um, but it it clearly shows that like there is a large group of people. I think the average contribution amount I think was like thirty six dollars and sixteen cents, maybe. Um, uh, so low. So clearly, she's getting a broad group of people. But it also shows that like. You know, that is not, uh, th there is just a visceral dislike for Mitch McConnell. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, most Senate races are truly local races. Um, they are about, you know, in Minnesota, they're about, you know, transportation and farm policy and, you know, crop prices. And they're about environment and... You know, uh, in in a state when you have a national figure like um, the Senate Majority Leader who literally has basically singular control over the agenda of the Senate, it becomes a little bit more of a national race. And I think this shows um, that there is just uh, 
a lot of energy uh, focused towards um, defeating Mitch McConnell. I think that's a really steep hill to climb. Um, but I also think that like, you know, weirder things have happened. And either way, you know, some people look at a race like this and say, um, you know, oh, that's a, that's a poor investment of money because she's not going to win. Is she? And she is the underdog. It would be it would be incorrect to portray her as anything other than that. Though Mitch McConnell is not beloved in Kentucky, um, she's the underdog. But like, it's not like it's taking money from anywhere else. As we've seen, there's a, you know, there's. Literally billions of dollars being spent on elections, and it's not going to get to be less unless we have meaningful campaign finance reform, which we need to do. Um, I think that the money in our politics is slowly, not that slowly, actually, really quickly, just eroding our democracy. Um, uh, and I'm, and that's really, I think, really says something as someone who like doesn't believe that um, people's political decisions and votes are made by uh, money. And also, let me just add this interesting anecdote. Um, which I think should sort of just give a little perspective. I've been on two races, one presidential and one governor, where both both times uh, we vastly, vastly outraised um, our opponents um, in the general election, and uh, both times lost. So people want to equate money in politics with like winning. Um, you don't always have it does it's not always the case that the person with the most money spent on their behalf wins. So I say that little caveat to my whole money is ruining our democracy thing. Yeah. Um, how does this play out though? I, I don't know. I mean I think that uh, she proved she was a good candidate last time. Good candidates don't always win. Um, and I, I'm glad to see her back in it. Um, I think that she's gonna give him a tough race. Uh, she's gonna continue to raise money. Um, and sometimes like whether she wins or loses, it's at least good to show up for the fight because you lose every battle you don't suit up for. So good for her for showing yeah, up. That's sweet. Yeah. It's encouraging to see some movement and like, yeah, these little blasts of energy that the Democratic parties are showing. Yeah. Like, I know. mean, you know, I think we feel it here um, um, as we're doing this podcast and like learning um, before we started recording, Jake and I were just talking about like, you know, sort of we've got a lot of irons in the fire on the podcast front most of which we haven't, we're not in a position to share yet, but we're really excited about. And it's so true that like you lose everything that you don't, um, the you, if you don't swing, it's always a miss, right? Yeah. It's it's you can never do anything. And and it was a month ago that we were sitting in my living room talking about and just sort of this idea of doing the show and sort of talking about life and politics and the intersection of all of them just kind of came up. Um, and the next day we were like recording and I think that so much of life is just like you know I, I certainly a month and a half ago was just totally stuck right like had been in a um, spent years in a career that it turned out wasn't a great fit for me um, and was in a new city and you know trying to navigate that and just sort of feeling stuck in life and I think we all very often have been maybe not very often but we certainly all if we get real with ourselves have been in a, a spot like that and it's not a good place to be and if there's anything that I I think that both of us have learned is that like being stuck when, when you are stuck you the worst thing you can do is sit there and think about how stuck you are it's just like go somewhere do yeah. something make a move uh, and have some faith get out of that spot you're at because you want to know what 
The place you end up may not be where you thought you were going, but at least it isn't where you were. Hey guys, thanks for sticking with us for another episode of Very Public Breakdown. If you don't already, please give us a follow on Instagram at Very Public Breakdown and on Twitter at VPub Breakdown. Join the conversation. We'd love to hear what you're interested in, what issues you're concerned about, and how we can help you avoid your own Very Public Breakdown. Until next time, guys, take care. <laughs>